0: Welcome to Paradigms at Paradigms.life, the radio show and podcast that brings you inspired, inspiring people with visions of a viable future for life on Earth that includes humans. Hi, I'm your host, Baruch. Happy to be here with you. Thanks for tuning in. This is the first episode of our 13th year. We just finished up 12 years of shows. In this episode, we're meeting a woman who's just written a book called Not for the Last Time, an amazing story that will lead you through your own thoughts and feelings, and into a transformation. Let's meet my guest right now on this episode of Paradigms. Mina Blair, welcome to Paradigms.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I've been looking forward to talking with you. I just finished your book, Not for the Last Time, and wow, very powerful. Yes. Powerful to read, uh, almost unimaginable, the experience. Although so much beauty too.
1: Yes, I mean this is the this is the thing, isn't it? That um, something that can be painful and cause suffering can, in the end, be beautiful. Yeah, I agree.
0: This is about your story of losing your child, who had been ill with chronic illness her whole life, and her eventual death, and how you then coped with that and took that beyond coping into. Very powerful, thriving.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good summary, Baruch. I think um, it's interesting, isn't it, when you in a situation where you know something is coming I mean I knew that my daughter when she was born I think you just kind of know instinctively (laughs) whether um, it's gonna work or not Uh, I call it instinct call call whatever but you just kind of know and I knew and because it was such a complicated situation and 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 the reason for that was the doctors had not seen this particular situation before. Um, I contracted chickenpox in the first trimester. And usually, this is what I was told later, a fetus attacked by the varicella virus would just naturally abort. And in fact, the mother would never know. You would just have a miscarriage and life would go on kind of thing. Very, very few survive the full pregnancy. And so when she was born... There was just a whole bunch of confounding health issues that spanned lots of different specialties, right? So it was, it was e- ENT, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was uh, gastrointestinal, it was orthopedic, it was neurological. I mean, it was just it was messy, and so nobody kind of could put the whole picture together. And so during her whole life, you know, we we never really had a proper diagnosis and therefore no diagnosis either, you know. Um, so I didn't know how long she was going to last and nor did anybody else. And it was the story of just having to kind of go with it and support this child the best we could. And luckily for us, she was mentally fine. She was just kind of trapped in this body that kept wanting to collapse and not work basically. And that's how it was for 12 years. I spent those 12 years fearing that moment because I didn't think I could survive it. I mean, honestly, I didn't. And then it happened, and then I was still here, and the sun kept rising, and the, the world kept turning, and I was really surprised by that. And so I had to find a way forward, and that's where the story begins. The book begins with the last two days of her life. I know that first chapter is quite harrowing, and that's what people have said who've read it, but... What I've also been told is that the way I write it is I make I make the unbearable kind of bearable, and um, I had to wait 10 years to write it, and that's why um, I couldn't have written the book right after she died. That wouldn't have been possible. But 10 years after that event, I felt I had enough understanding of the bigger picture, which we can maybe talk about later, but also I could present it in a way that was, yeah, I guess, bearable for people.
0: The way you wrote it does make it possible to feel one's way through it without total collapse, basically. I mean, you've experienced one of the worst things a human being can experience, honestly. And also, the way you describe Francesca, she sounds like she was just a completely delightful human. Mm. You got to have those years with her. I mean, I don't say that as if that makes the pain any less but it it was also the beauty of who she
1: is yeah but you know this this happens often doesn't it you know baruch because some people they they arrive and they shine really really brightly don't they like intensely brightly we we know some public figures who are like this and maybe some some personal figures as well in our own lives and they come in and they just burn like crazy and offer so much but they also then have to leave and that is a key thing that it took me a long time to understand because I spent oh wow I must have spent at least two three years in the whole why me why her what you know the whole this is uh, some kind of punishment thing I don't understand it you know she wanted to live I didn't want her to die I mean it just I just couldn't get around that whole thing and then gradually I as as I met people as I traveled as I started reading philosophy especially the eastern you know yogic scriptures I began to see it and I thought oh I get it now she she was meant to come and just teach us a whole lot of stuff, but then she had to go.
0: Well, the dedication of the book for Francesca, the greatest spiritual teacher of all. Yeah. The fact that you were able and willing to go there with it, to find through your reading, through your conversations with people, through your own inner journey that you were able to find what you describe in the book, which is this journey of healing. That's remark. Maybe that's not remarkable. Maybe millions of human beings do that all the time. I guess that's true. This is the human existence. We are presented with each of us, some different things, huge losses, pain, suffering in whatever way we get it. Our opportunity is to to choose a path of healing in relation to that. And, and everyone makes their own choice in their own way and all of that. But from the place of why me, why her, and I'm going to say just, I'm going to use the word despair, you came out of that. You came through that. I think that is the part. That's the nugget, the coming mm-hmm. through that, that, that can inspire others.
1: Yeah, I mean the the thing is, you see, I I had some options. <laughs> this is this is the funny thing. I had options. So when something like this happens, I I could have just left it there. You know, I could have just put it behind me and sort of thought, right, well, life can be really hard, and never mind. I, I will just crack on and um, you know keep working and keep being mother to you know my other daughter. I have an older daughter. She ha- had a sister. And and kind of just put it in the past and eventually I, I suppose it not being a dark secret, but a sort of a thing that I could just put down to maybe a bit of bad luck or something like that. That was an option. That did not sit right with me. I just felt it was so huge what had happened that I felt I needed to find meaning that's kind of where I started I didn't start in a place of I needed to heal myself I started in a place of I need to understand what the hell just happened because I don't get it you know where did she go what 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 is this you know and so I needed to find meaning her life because I couldn't just kind of relegate her existence and everything that we had gone through for 12 years to just a kind of a, oh, well, you know, I decided to, to find out more and in that way come to a comfortable place because I was not going to be comfortable just not exploring that whole aspect of what happened.
0: I'm talking with Mina Blair, author of the book, Not for the Last Time. We'll be back with more of our conversation after we hear some music. Here's the Buffalo Springfield, I Am a Child. You're listening to Paradigms at paradigms.life.
2: I am a child. I last a while. Can't conceive of the pleasure in my smile. You hold my hand, rough up my hair. It's lots of fun to have you there. I gave to you, now you give to me. I'd like to know what you learned. The sky is blue. See What is the color When black is burned What is the color You are a man You understand You pick me up And you lay me down again You make the rules You say what's fair It's lots of fun to have you there I gave to you, now you give to me I'd like to know what you've learned The sky is blue and so is the sea What is the color? can't conceive of the pleasure in
0: my smile. That's the Buffalo Springfield, I Am a Child, Neil Young. Now let's get back to my conversation with author Mina Blair. I want to go back to your earlier life, way earlier, childhood, how you were brought up. What were the things that you learned growing up that you think contributed to you making that choice?
1: Self-sufficiency. I'm quite a independent person, I would say. So my childhood was a single parent situation with lots of moving, lots of chaos, uh, not a lot of stability. I didn't know my father until I was 21. So I'm quite a, I'd say, an emotionally kind of self-sufficient person. So when stuff happens, I go within because that's the safest way, That's that for me, to just rely on myself and trust myself rather than others, that's my self-defense, because in that way, I avoid disappointment, so the choice to find meaning and understand it was something that I've kind of done before, to answer your point, I've always found my own way, you know, I couldn't just ever ask people, well, what do you think, what should I do, it was always kind of up to me, Mm. And so that kind of owning the loss was something I could manage. And that probably led to my choice. Yeah.
0: So much of how we see the world as adults is through the lenses that we put on as children and often don't even recognize that they exist. To be able to see that also means we can take it away and and see not through those lenses. It gives us more choices. So Mm. I'm curious about... Your peers, your friends, when Francesca died, what did you experience with your people in terms of, it's so awkward for other people when one experiences a personal tragedy and people want to help and they can, but they can't really, you know, and some people run away because it's too scary. Some people come close. Some people are attracted to other people's tragedies. There's all these different ways of being, but what helped what was good for you from your peers from your friends from your community
1: well you see this is this is the difficulty actually because I what I found was that child loss is not something that people like to uh, think about let alone talk about Uh, It comes under uh, my list of things people don't want to talk about, which is, if you think about it, it's quite lengthy in our society, isn't it? You know, you've got uh, sexuality, you've got, you know, murder, you've got all manner of stuff. People don't want to talk about it. And child loss is absolutely on that list because, you know, it can happen to anyone, but because it is like you use the word awkward it is awkward because it's not the natural way of things isn't it we're not meant to bury our children it's meant to be the other way around so when it happens it frightens people i think it it makes them scared because deep down they know it could have been them but they are really glad it wasn't you know that that it was me and i think what happens So, for example, when she was born, um, that was kind of the first awkward moment because it was, you know, in my friendship circle, everybody else had had second children, they were all healthy. And I ended up, you know, spending two years pretty much in hospital and a lot of time in the back of ambulances and things. And it is awkward. It puts people off because they don't want to see the flip side. They don't want to see what can actually happen. And... It's uncomfortable and also exhausting to be constantly reminded of other people's suffering. This is what I think. And they would rather not see it. And they'd rather have friends that just, you know, talked about where they were going on holiday next and house extensions and, you know, fun things like that. And their husband's new job and, you know, this kind of thing. Me in the room just didn't quite, you know, what was I going to talk about? Uh, Certainly none of those things. And I think this is, it's alienating, for people. And so during Francesca's life, my obviously my social life became quite narrow because I couldn't go out that much anyway. I had to work full time. I was the sole breadwinner and Francesca's father had to stay at home and look after her and, and Karina. So yeah, it's that fear of Knowing life can turn on a penny, but not really wanting to think about it. And so when we came to the funeral, there were people who turned up, bless them. You know, it was really hard, but I don't know what you do in America traditionally, but here in England, you know, you you have the funeral and then you're expected to host a meal and, you know, feed people, aren't you? And having just seen my child's coffin go into the ground, I then had to go to the pub across the road and have lunch with people and chat and I don't actually know to this day how I got through those hours without screaming loudly because I didn't want to be there I didn't want to be hostess but I was I walked around that room and made it okay for everyone I chatted about oh I don't know the weather or their children or something I don't know But I I just had to make it okay. Now, what I actually wanted to do, and this is what I say in the book, I wanted to wail. You know these proper tribal communities where everybody gathers and they just cry and wail together? That is what I needed. I wanted to throw myself into the grave. I wanted to pull all my hair out and shout and scream. That's actually what I wanted to do. And I had to suppress all of that because I needed to make this day okay for everyone and bearable. And... That was the hardest thing, I think, of all, because I felt terribly guilty, you know, afterwards. That didn't feel right at all, that I somehow was being the hostess with the mostess the day I'd buried my child. That felt really awful. So, But I felt that was what was expected and required, you see.
0: Very much so. Here, too, same custom. And I see benefit in it, and I also see that it's not always a healthy thing. I mean, to be able to sit with your community and just wail that does feel so much more appropriate and real.
1: Yeah, and I mean, people did, you know, probably, as you said earlier, they they try their best to help, don't they? I mean, uh, a lady who lived next to me, she was a neighbor, her first comment when she heard that Francesca died, she came up to me and said, gosh, you must be relieved. Hmm. And I was like, what? Uh, Okay, because, you see, this is the trouble. Because Francesca had been ill her, her, her whole life, it was like, well, now you can finally go on that holiday that you've been wanting to go on, right? I mean, this is yeah. this is just not rea- This is not how it is for people. Even with disabled children, it's not like the moment they pass, you think, "Well, thank God for that. Now we can get on with life." It is an enormous loss. It's even almost a bigger loss because you have been battling and trying to sustain this this unsustainable child for twelve years, and relief is. Not your first emotion, trust me. So please, if out there, if anybody's listening, don't say that. It's not helpful. But I think what she was actually saying unconsciously, because we'd been neighbors for a while and she knew how hard it was for me, she was probably saying it was a relief for her.
0: A relief for her to not watch you suffer anymore.
1: Exactly. And that's the darker side of this. And that's why I'm saying it. And I'm saying it in the kindest of ways, because it is a natural way to feel and think that. So I'm not judging her or people who react in that way. I understand you and why you think that, but it's not, it's not how it is.
0: We'll be back with my conversation with Mina Blair talking about her new book, Not For The Last Time, and what happened, the death of her daughter, Francesca. Here's a song by Roseanne Cash.
3: I'd give a lifetime baby to see you smile If you could give your troubles over for just a little while And look at truth is right here staring at you Oh angels bow when you walk by And the rest of us here have always known why Cause a soul Takes its blows and it does not reveal. The heart opens slow, and it takes time to heal. But you can let go, it'll all turn to gold, my sweet child of steel. you walk through fire when clear water runs near watch your heart break open wide a heart I hold so dear
1: but look
3: at the truth I could burn a hole. Break down and cry. Cause the soul takes its blows and it does not reveal. The heart opens slow, and it takes time to heal. But you can let go, it'll all turn to gold, my sweet child of steel. Slow and it takes time to hear, but you can let go, it'll all turn to gold, my sweet child of steel.
0: Roseanne Cash with Child of Steel. And now let's get back to my conversation with Mina Blair, author of Not for the Last Time. When someone is physically ill for an extended period, especially, especially if it's your child, the bond is different in a way, I would imagine, than with the healthy child. Not better, worse, more or less, but different. And it's a different kind of closeness because... You have this physical intimacy because there's all this dealing with the body stuff and all this time together. So I, I just imagine not having had the experience that that bond was its very own, very special thing. And that no, not relief. It's not a severing because you're still connected, but it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a loss. It's an enormous. Yeah. Where, where are they now? Where did they go? How can this be?
1: Yeah. And you see, the thing is, and this is what I discovered, again, people thinking it's helpful would say things like, yes, but you've got Karina. And I'm like, yeah, this is what I explain in the book, right? Love does not work in this way. So if you think of love is like a bank account. Each child has its own love bank account. Yes. And you love each child equally. So when you lose someone, and this can apply to, you know, other family members, any, any loved one, that person, exactly what you just said there, there is a bond, there's an intimacy with that one individual so when you lose that connection through death say you can't then transfer the balance in that account as it were and take that love and then like give it the extra and and like transfer it to some to a different account so it's not like I now love Karina twice as much because I have, do you see what I mean? Yeah. I can't I can't just offload onto Karina the love I had. It doesn't work that way. And that is what grieving is. Grieving is the pain of that void where there was someone to love, that love channel. There isn't a receptor there now anymore, but you still love. And so that's the pain and that's the grieving and that's the thing that has to, be processed and dealt with because if you don't grieve that will just kind of hang there and fester somewhere in you in your heart probably because it doesn't help to love everybody else instead
0: no there's no instead
1: there's no instead Brooke. <laughs> i'm sorry no. if there was trust me i would have found it okay
0: uh, we if there was the world would be a very and different would, place and i
1: would have written a book about that yeah
0: But as you do in the book, we're going to do in the conversation. We're going to, you had this, this happened in your life. You had this incredible relationship with this child, your daughter. She died. You have been going through that grief. And then you did find, I'm not going to say ways to get past it because we never get past it, but you did find aliveness to rejoice in for yourself through a variety of uh I mean your your correspondence with Colin is just yeah. really lovely and I have to say he's the first Christian cleric who has said some things like that that I just really was like wow this guy's great you know Oh
1: he's awesome he is awesome Colin is just awesome I mean the universe was kind to me right up front that it, it, it served up Colin straight away yeah
0: You share some of that correspondence in the book, which is really wonderful, and I appreciate that you did, because I got a lot out of it. And then you continue, you know, you're studying philosophies, Eastern philosophies, and then you found the yoga path, which has completely transformed your life. I mean, look at what you're doing now. Those are the externals of what you did and what happened, but inside, what happened?
1: I think Francesca would have been really annoyed with me if I did not get on with my life and find the thriving, you know, if you think about it that way, you know, she would have loved to have lived her life. She didn't want to die. She was very sad to leave us and she said so. And I think if I kind of held back then on my own opportunity in this dimension, in this lifetime, that would be...